In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. And welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics' Jesse Temple here with you. All right, Wisconsin gets a big win. 49 to nothing over South Florida. I don't think, Jesse, any of us were expecting that big of a win for the Badgers on Friday night down in South, down in uh, Tampa. It's not South Florida, it's Central Florida, I guess, but delayed by an hour due to some lightning in the area, but they got it off about 8 o'clock. Not too bad, and uh, Wisconsin got the win. And it, it was not something that I thought a lot of people saw coming. A lot of people saw Wisconsin winning that game. They were favored by 10.5, but 49 to nothing in what was an absolute beatdown, especially from the second quarter on. It was a totally dominant performance, and you're right. All of us picked Wisconsin. I think a lot of us probably had somewhere in the 31 to 35 to 17 range. Like They were going to win by a couple touchdowns, but they really just put it on South Florida. And I thought the Bulls would have a better offensive showing. We made a lot out of what we thought they could be with a new offensive coordinator who had come from Valdosta State and won a Division II National Championship as a head coach last year. And with a team that averaged 52 points per game, you had your your starting quarterback coming back, your best running back, your best receiver, and the defense completely held them in check. So I know we've got a lot to get to in this episode, but uh, a lot of good things if you're a Badgers fan out of what they did in the opener. Yeah, and they were without what I think a lot of people thought was going to be one of their top receivers. The slot receiver ended up being uh, ineligible. It was apparently some non-academic thing, but there was there had been a lot of talk about him in the preseason camp, but I don't think one guy's going to make a whole lot of a difference when it looks like that Blake Barnett was supposed to be this great thing he did not look overly uh, good especially and you know in some of it was his receivers they dropped a couple of passes but Wisconsin's defense uh, really really played well and created turnovers and created points and did pretty much everything that they didn't do a year ago I mean we can't when Matt Henningsen picked that or picked it off or fumbled whatever you want he, he's calling it a pick six uh, I think the, the book is calling it a fumble return either way that was the first defensive touchdown for them since the Big Ten Championship game with Andrew Van Ginkle in 2017. So already doing stuff they were unable to do last year. But yeah, there is plenty to get to, and we've gone through here the the first two and a half minutes and not talked about probably the biggest story, and that was Jonathan Taylor just being Jonathan Taylor and doing absolutely everything that we thought he could do and we saw in fall camp, and you kind of are unsure if it's actually going to show up. You don't, you're not really sure. And he even, you asked him about it a little bit, you're like, he puts so much effort into getting better in the pass game. Puts so much effort into it. And you're not, and you're a little nervous just to see if you're actually getting an opportunity to show it. He got to show absolutely everything that makes him special, and um, and the expanded parts of his game. And throughout the throughout the game, Lewis Riddick, you know, I think before the game was wanting to see that. And he's a big NFL guy. He covers NFL. He's former NFL front office type of pers- person. And he, by the end of the game, was convinced of what Jonathan Taylor is. And I just thought everything he did, and he did it. In such a short amount of time, I mean, he didn't carry the ball after thirteen after the thirteen minute mark in the first half or the second half. So he played thirty two minutes, had one hundred eighty three yards and four touchdowns. And I thought it was interesting that he acknowledged he was a little nervous coming into this game too. I, when I was talking to Zach Bond after the game, Zach and, and JT are fairly close, and he, Zach said that Jonathan came up to him on the sideline during the game and, and basically said like it was almost like a sigh of relief, like I'm so glad that all the work I put in paid off and. We saw it. We, he spent so much time behind the scenes, and we've talked about this for like a year and a half, really, even spring practice in 2018. I'll look at him going through 
this route running session and Paul Christ is coaching him and it didn't materialize last season. And so for him to not only catch two passes, but to do what he did with them, I think says a lot about how far he's come and how much Wisconsin is willing to utilize him offensively, which we saw in fall camp. We thought that would be the case. It's also nice to get, nice to get confirmation that what we saw in fall camp yes, was accurate. That and, does make me feel a little bit yeah. better. And on the first screen, I mean, he got great blocks from two of his offensive linemen that he was able to go through and score the touchdown. And the second one was just unbelievable because it never should have happened. And Jack Cohn even acknowledged when he threw the pass, he thought, yeah, JT is the best player in America. He'll probably do something good. But he also said that was probably a bad decision because he threw it to the five. They had no timeouts left. And if he doesn't get into the end zone, that's it. Well, Jonathan manages to shake off two guys and, and dive on his back into the end zone with two seconds left. It was just a phenomenal effort. And I thought he it was just it was the full display. I know we make too much at this time about Heisman Trophy stuff. Because there's like an entire season to go. Yeah. But what a way to make a statement early in the season in front of a nationally televised audience. I'm not sure you could make a better statement in his in his limited playing time. He touched the ball 18 times, had 183 yards. And he could have had a whole bunch more if they decided they wanted to leave him in. But that fourth touchdown put them up 35 to nothing. And no need for him. And so we got to see Nakia Watson a little bit. We got to see Bradrick Shaw a little bit. And um, But again, it was confirmation of what we had seen in fall camp and confirmation of what they talked about in the offseason. Like, usually those talking points, they're great to hear. And I still, he's still not going to get to 50 touches in the passing game, but it's, it's, it's great to hear those talking points. It's even better for you actually to follow up on them. And I thought, and when John Settle said 50, maybe he'll get 50 receptions, but I think half of them will be touchdowns. I was like, well, that sounds insane. <laughs> well, he's 100%. You throw him a pass, he's going to score a touchdown. And that was the first four touchdown game by a Wisconsin player since Melvin Gordon five years ago in that 408 yard game against Nebraska. And just how it also shows how rare it is to catch two touchdowns and, and run for two touchdowns. That hadn't, a Big Ten player hadn't done that since. 2010 so and it it's been a long time it's in as you tweeted out it had been since 2005 since a wisconsin back had done that we all know what brian calhoun had done he was fantastic in 2005 he got worn down he was a little bit smaller back than than jt is he got worn worn down as the season went on he they gave him they rode him uh, they're not because i think what we saw with nakia watson and certainly garrett groshek's role though i don't think jt is going to get worn down to the point you know, 18 touches isn't that many, and to do what he did in those amount of touches remain is uh, is remarkable, and I guess just more of the the same in terms of the remarkable aspect of it. But the idea of how he did it, and the way that they got him ball, and the way they lined him up, and the way they lined up in general, all the different formations that they that they ran. I mean, it was a different offense in my mind, and again, it's expected, but it was confirmation of it. And also, we've been talking about Jonathan in the past game, but what he did on the ground. Deserves mention, too. His ability to jump cut between guys and stop on a dime and find the, the crease is unbelievable. His vision is tremendous. That last touchdown that he scored may have been the most impressive, the rushing score, even though we've been gushing about that that catch that he had where he dove for the goal line. Just the, the way he sees things and makes it happen, it's unreal. And I, I also have to give credit to the offensive line. We That was a big question mark. Like I, I know I said I felt like this would still be a solid line. It's just they're not household names. I thought they really performed well because they sprung him for some of those scores and he did the rest. They did. The jump cut that at least I'm thinking of is the the touchdown run, his first touchdown run where it looked like he was going to go to the outside of the two guys, jump right back inside and found a hole. And we talked to Tyler Biotich afterwards and he mentioned his eyes. Like it's everyone talks about his physical ability, his athletic ability. He's got eyes is what. Biotis said, um, he knows and he can feel. And, and in those situations, that fourth touchdown run, 
it was the willingness, the patience, the willingness to wait, and the feel and the vision to know that, as he said, the two butts on the offensive lineman, I saw those two butts. I knew that they were going to open eventually. I just had to be patient and wait a second, and it opened up, and he cruised for that fourth touchdown and the last time we saw him in the game. It was it was a really, really impressive effort. We've talked a little bit about Jack Cohen, that one throw that he did make the JT that uh, was probably ill-advised, and he admitted that much as much afterwards, as did Paul Christ, and, and apparently John Budmeyer did as well. Uh, they, they all knew that that was not a throw that he probably should have made. It worked out, but um, for the most part, outside of a little bit of a slow start and a couple of throws down the field, I think Jack played well. I agree. Um, you know, if you're picking nits, obviously, we talked a lot about can they execute, take some deep shots down the field, and he missed Quintez Cephas twice. One of them he was under pressure. I don't think he fully was able to get set uh, and like Cephas he wanted getting, to. And Cephas was getting held and, and pulled back but, down the field. Yeah, and but certainly on the first one, I'm, you know, it, that's a play you got to make, and it looked like Cephas had him. And But overall... You look at Jack's numbers, I thought he got the job done. I thought he was much more confident than what we saw last year. I, I think he's clearly a better quarterback, and yeah, there are some areas to work on, but it's encouraging. And the, just like you said, there's so much more multiple is sort of a phrase you hear a lot in football terminology, but just the things they can do. And to have Quintez Cephas back, my goodness, this guy came back to practice for the first time a week and a half before that game. And it wasn't just like they were going to throw him in there for a few players to get plays to get his feet wet. Like It's pretty clear he's the best wide receiver on the team at this point, probably. And uh, we're going to see a lot more of him for sure. I, yeah. And as I said last week, I still, you know, Kendrick Pryor had a nice night as well. Uh, but the, the thing about Jack, I thought his best throw was the first throw when it was on that third, third down. Third yes. down. And he looked to his left and his first read wasn't there. And he came back to his other side and he threw a dart to, to Cephas, it was tight coverage. Guy was all over him, and Cephas came down with it. Now, it's nice to have a receiver like Quintez. You can throw that ball, too, in, in a tight spot and you know, feel good that it's going to come in. But to me, that was his biggest throw, and it jump-started the drive. I mean, the, they threw that pass, then they, the throwback to John Chennault, and then a play later, it's uh, Jonathan Taylor into the end zone for the touchdown. I mean, it was that boom, 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 and Wisconsin's in the end zone. It doesn't happen without that throw on third down. Yeah, I thought I, I that was huge, obviously, and I think it also showed all of us that, like, what a, what a weapon it is to have Quintez as well because of how physical he is and and all you know he would come in there as the the lone wide receiver in certain situations because of his blocking ability too right. which is an area that I know his teammates have have mentioned I thought it was great and probably expected the first play that he was in went down the field and blocked somebody and immediately got into like you know a little bit of a jawing match and uh, a pushing match, and it, it that continued on throughout the rest of that drive. You could tell he was amped to be out there, and he wasn't going to let anything you know stop him from getting what he was what he was going to get. And uh, he had he had a couple of really nice blocks down the field. Now he didn't on, on Jonathan Taylor's the screen that he ended up scoring on the Taylor screen on. Uh, Steve was out there on the on the cornerback. JT kind of took care of that himself with the fake inside the back outside, but. Quintez and, and someone asked, you know, why they're running Quintez deep on those on those plays. He was open, like he had gotten separation. He was open. They did, and I I still am confident that Jack can hit that throw, and he needs to hit that throw against better teams. They, you can't miss opportunities like that once, okay, twice. And the second time, yeah, he was under pressure. But again, give your shot, give your guy a shot. Don't over whatever you do. At least I mean, at least in me me personally, don't overthrow him. Give him a shot. If you want to underthrow it, especially when it's Quintez. Let him go up and make a play on it, and he he was not able to do that. And there were, you know, the sacks, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Just the 
there were a couple times, and, and Paul was asked about it afterwards, three sacks. They were not all on the offensive line. There was maybe some, yeah, there may be some indecision on Jack's part to get rid of the ball. And sacks were an issue last year, so we'll see. But overall, I thought Jack played well. Going over to the other side of the ball, the defense, a shutout, biggest shutout, road shutout since 1983 uh, against Northwestern. And we kind of joked, is it, was it Wisconsin's defense or was it South Florida's ineptitude? I think it's both. I posed that question in my story that they ran over the weekend, too. Like, obviously, USF has some serious work to do, and people made a lot out of having this new offensive coordinator. And their quarterback completed 13 of 30 passes with no TDs and two picks. But, man, it just, to me, highlighted how much depth and talent there is defensively for Wisconsin when you consider that two of your leading tacklers were your second team inside linebackers. And I know Chris Orr looked like was battling an injury, but Mike Mascalunas, six tackles, Leo Chanel in his debut, five tackles. And, you know, you can, you can go across the board. I mean, even Keanu Benton, when he gets in as a reserve nose guard, he has two tackles in a four play stretch, including a tackle for loss. And I thought for the most part, the defensive backs played well. So Zach Bond is really amped up about what this group can do. And I thought it was interesting because when we were talking to him after the game, he, he used, he was talking about last year and he used the word bad and he stopped himself. Like it, it just escaped his mouth when he said bad and he like didn't want to put that on the defense. So he said not as good. Um, but it's clear that what they did last season was not up to the standard that they thought they should have. And he said, I'm telling you guys, like this is a different team and, and the players know it and the coaches know it. And he's speaking about it from a defensive standpoint. You just, you have to be impressed by all the talent there is. You do, and the the thing about the the defense, and I thought it was Zach um, said, I kind of asked him about the the strip sack that ended up with with the touchdown, and he, he was like, they disrespected my speed, so they didn't honor my speed, yeah, uh, and they changed after that, yeah, right. Uh, they had a that guy, the left tackle was a guy that had played inside before, and that was his first start at left tackle, and it looked it. Zach owned him, and I that to me was kind of like what we had all expected of, of, of Zach at different times, especially coming in. Um, you know, I can remember talking about D- with Dave Aranda about how excited he was when he first signed um, and what kind of player they were getting. And it was going to take a while. It may take a while, but we finally got to see him in all his, I don't want to say all his glory, but you know, him, him playing at a high, at a very high level. And we'll get a little bit more into that, but the defense just in general, they tackled well for the most part. We didn't see a ton of missed tackles, which had been an issue last year. Uh, they turned the ball, they forced turnovers, which we didn't see a ton of last year. Again, South Florida, that was the first game of a new offense, but Wisconsin owned it. And yeah, there were a couple of drops early in that, early in that game. But for the, for the most part, that was, that was two plays out of how many. So, um, Good start for a defense that did had taken a step back and knew they had taken a step back. The only down uh, point, I think, of the day for them defensively was Chris Orr getting hurt. Uh, we don't know how serious it is. He left the game, then tried to play at the beginning of the second half, played one play. You could tell he was not able to run, and he was not made available after the game to talk, which is not necessarily a great thing. Um, but we'll see how that we'll – get, we'll get a word from Paul Chris when they hold their press conference, and we'll see where he is. All right, something new this uh, on the show this year. Each week, we're going to be giving away tickets to home games. 
at Camp Randall Stadium. Obviously, they take on Central Michigan this week. I'm going to be asking each week a trivia question. To qualify to get the tickets, you have to follow our Twitter account. It's the underscore camp underscore WI. And if you have the answer to the trivia question, you DM it to that account. So, for instance, we'll start with this week. The trivia question, the first, uh, we all know that J.J. Watt, the former Badger great, went to Central Michigan before transferring to Wisconsin. Uh, He was part of the 2007 recruiting class there at Central Michigan, but he was not the only player that ended up going on to great things in that class. The other guy that, uh, so I'm asking, who is that other guy? The other guy, he went on to uh, seven Pro Bowls, was a four-time first-team All-Pro, and he led the uh, NFL in receiving yards twice. What is his name? Follow the camp Twitter account and then DM us the answer. The first person to do so will get the tickets. They're very good tickets. They're on the 40-yard line, about 50 rows up. I guess I should also add, you'll have to be able to be in Madison at some point this week and pick up the tickets at our office on the west side of Madison. It's on Gammon Road. Whoever ends up winning will get you address and uh, have the tickets available for you at your convenience uh, at some point this week. Uh, But again, who, other than J.J. Watt, of the 2007 freshman class at Central Michigan, went on to do great things? What is his name? DM us, and the tickets will be yours. All right, time to get a little sold or not sold, and we've talked about Jonathan Taylor a little bit already, but his effort, and he he was a Heisman Trophy candidate coming into the season. Right now, Jesse, sold or not sold, after one week... After 32 minutes of action, Jonathan Taylor will be in New York as a Heisman Trophy finalist. I'm not going to hedge here, so I'm going to say sold. Um, You know, it's never a lifetime achievement award. Having said that, he was ridiculous as a freshman. He finished sixth in the Heisman Trophy voting, wasn't a finalist. He was even more ridiculous as a sophomore. He finished ninth. I think sometimes when a team isn't as successful as, you know, some of these other teams that are in the college football playoff hunt, that can impact you. But there are other years where, like, Johnny Manziel won the Heisman, Lamar Jackson won the Heisman, Texas A&M and Louisville weren't going to compete for a college got, football you got to be a playoff. quarterback, though, right? You are. Yes, Baylor that's part two, of it. Baylor 2 back in that's the day part with of it. three. But I, I feel like if he, if he keeps putting up numbers like this, he, he deserves to be a finalist. And, and, look, some of this is predicated on what other guys do. If you have five quarterbacks that are throwing for 4,000-plus yards and 45 touchdowns, that makes it tough. But... I'm going to say sold because he was fantastic. Yeah, I've seen some people update their list of Heisman contenders after the first week, and he's not even the first running back listed on ESPN. That'd be Travis Travis, Etienne. Yeah, Etienne from from Clemson, who had 205 yards rushing on just 12 carries and three scores and had a 90-yard run against, and that was against Georgia Tech. And Tua down at Alabama is on that list ahead of him. Justin Fields at Ohio State, who his first possession, he had a 51-yard touchdown, threw three more touchdowns in the first quarter, and it was... It was pretty much a route there for Ohio State. Um, and then Jonathan Taylor at number five. If they take five, four. that's the other thing is sometimes there's three. Like if there's what? three clear-cut guys, right. they'll be finalists. So that also is part of this equation too. If they take five, I think he's got to be one of the five. If they take three, that makes it a little more difficult. See, and ESPN didn't even take into consideration his past. This is what they wrote for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, 16 carries, 134 yards, two touchdowns. Not too shabby for a non-Etienne running back. Yeah. We're just going to ignore the two... Nah. ESPN. ESPN. Trevor Lawrence also uh, at, at number five there. Uh, sold or not sold? And we've talked about Zach Bond a little bit. Zach Bond is the best Wisconsin defender right now. Is Wisconsin's best defender right now? Oh, man. Like, I don't know who else it would be. Who, who are you pointing to? I guess he probably is. I mean... You want to throw Matt Henningsen in there? Is that what you want to do? What do you want to do? I guess I'll go Bond. I don't know. I mean, he was 
very impactful, obviously. He had the strip sack. He had three tackles. I, I This is going to be like a co-MVP type thing. I don't know who else it is, but I, you just everybody contributed. And, yeah. and it's hard for me to say, like, Henningsen was really good. I mean, you don't often <laughs> often praise defensive linemen, but... Sack and a touchdown. Boy, that he got a shout-out from J.J. Watt. Yeah, he did. Uh, but, but Zach's ability to get around the edge and really pressure Barnett, I thought it wasn't just one play. It was, I thought, continuous... And Wisconsin in general, it was continuous getting after Barnett and making him uncomfortable, and it certainly helped. At least in my mind, it helped everything else. Sold or not sold, Colin Larsh will be Wisconsin's kicker the entire season, main field goal kicker the entire season. There's no way to know this, but I'm going to say not sold simply because we saw him come out for one opportunity and he missed a 30-yarder, and you can't miss from 30 yards. I... I that's that's our sample size right now as a field goal kicker. I mean, I, I know there's not a lot of guys that you would put in that position. Zach Hintz and, and Larsh battled throughout camp, and we know Hintz could potentially be the long-range field goal specialist. It's really it's too early for me to say. It depends how he bounces back. But you can't miss from, from that range the, the way I see it if you're a college kicker and expect to maintain your job. But again, that's just one kick. I thought he kicked pretty well in fall camp. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought he was pretty consistent. Um, you know, Hintz wasn't bad either, but... I thought he was. I, w- I was surprised that he missed the thirty-yard kick. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, though. If yeah. this is something we're talking about after next week or after week three against Michigan, then you've got a problem. Sold or not sold, I still think Garrett Groshek will be Wisconsin's second-leading rusher this year. Well, for I'm any- not sold on that one. <laughs> for anybody, for anybody that missed it last week in our over/unders, uh, I don't even remember what the question was. It was either Nikia Watson. I, it was just actually out there. I just asked you, Nikia Watson, Garrett Groshek, who's the who's going to be the second-leading rusher? Jonathan Taylor. And you said Garrett Groshek, and I asked you again, who's going to be the leading rusher? You said Garrett Groshek. I asked you again, you said Garrett Groshek. Does that mean that you would have said Nakia Watson? Yes. All right. Well, it's easy to say it now. No, it's not. I would have said, I, that's why I asked you the question three I was wrong. Times. I'll admit it no, after it, week one. It was one game, right? And Nakia got a lot of carries, more carries than he's probably going to get on an average game. Yep, because Jonathan didn't play the last 28 minutes, so he got some drives that wouldn't have gone to him. Right. Having said that, I thought he was really impressive. Obviously, the the touchdown that he had, the 27-yarder, but just the way that he plows forward. I mean, I, I said Garrett because I just we saw they were used together in the in the two-back set when it was Garrett and Jonathan, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Garrett's going to get the ball on a lot of occasions. He might not, right. um, but he's, he's an impactful player. But if I have to say who's going to get more yardage at this point, Nakia certainly is that guy who fills that Taiwan deal role. He does, and he looked he looked good. His first carry, you could tell he was jacked up, and it and he hit it hard. And I think it was nine yards on his first carry. And the the touchdown run at one point, it looked like he was going to go out of bounds. I think maybe even South Florida thought they had him kind of hemmed in, and all of a sudden he pops it outside and goes. And I wanted to did talk about Bradrick Shaw a little bit too because he, for what he had been through, to come in and and not even just play, but play well and have that bounce to the outside. I think Jonathan Taylor called him. That Showtime Shaw again, uh, that that was a heck of a story. It still is a heck of a story for him to coming back after not playing all of last year. It says a lot about what how his teammates reacted. Like they have all been rooting for him. We know that Paul Christ has been the way he talks about Bradrick and and just hoping that he would get the opportunity. So he's he carried twice in that game. Like it's pretty clear Nakia is the guy, and you've also got Garrett and, and Bradrick may not get a ton of opportunities. He was out there on special teams. I think that's probably going to be his most significant role. 
But for him to even be on the field and then on top of that, for him to have that nice touchdown run, uh, it says a lot about per- his perseverance and the reaction of his teammates says a lot about what they think of him. It does. What about Chase Wolf's block? Are we calling, <laughs> are we calling it a block? I mean, he put himself out he there. He got in the way. He did. He took, he, he took it on the chin. Um, but it That's also, a quarterback doing work to it, get spring a guy. It is. It also got him into the end zone. Um, so, he, so he took it on the chin, and uh, he put himself out there, and it helped get uh, Bradrick Shaw into the end zone for the first time since 2017. Getting into a little fill-in-the-blank here. All right, after week one, my biggest concern about this team is blank. Kicking game? It, again, I maybe I'm making too much of one field goal attempt, but I offense, defense, special teams. Coaches always say it in the equal percentage of how it can impact the game, and I think defensively they were excellent. They pitched a shutout. I think offensively they showed a lot. There are some areas to improve, like taking downfield shots, but I'm with you. I think Jack's going to be able to do that. I'm not sure what we'll see from the kicking game. So that that's where yeah. I stand. I would say, and we, as I already mentioned, I, the pass protection and, and Jack's ability to uh, deal with, not, it's not even pocket presence, it's the ability to see stuff. And, and there was guys that came untouched and he was staring right at him and, and still it wasn't picked up. And some of that, I'm not going to profess myself as an offensive line expert, so I think it's probably not uh, smart to sit here and say this, this it was on this guy or that guy or this guy or that guy, but the pass protection issues that popped up last year uh, with with that offensive line kind of reared their their ugly head at times. And then, you know, some some wide receivers uh, at times running open in the secondary, at least early in that game. I think other teams are going to see that, and we're going to see shots down the field. Uh, I was kind of surprised that and maybe it had to do with the ability of Wisconsin's uh, pass rush to get to him, but not a whole ton of shots down the field from South Florida. But those would probably, yeah, I, I, mean, I think those would be my biggest concerns um, as well. Um, By the way, can I mention that Jack Dunn had a 41-yard punt return? Because I he feel did. like he's been much maligned as a punt returner. Yeah, I mean, some people just say, you know, he's going to get five yards and that's it. Yeah, well, that's what he averaged last year, five and a half. So <laughs> I thought for him to break a 41-yarder, good for him. Fill in the blank here. Paul Chris' decision to play Chase Wolf over Graham Mertz was... Expected. I, I can't say I was that surprised, especially if you... It, if the redshirt thing matters, and that's something that they're actually thinking about, then why would you use one of the four games on a seven-touchdown blowout? And I think Chase certainly has shown he's worthy of being the number two quarterback. I don't know what this means, how this portends for the future. If, if, if there's a scenario where they need a backup, it might, might well be Chase. That, that, would, that would probably be my guess at this point. But I, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world that Graham may not necessarily be ready at this stage of his career. I think, again, it, it kind of goes back to what it was last year where you know we all knew Jack Cohn was the backup, but they played Danny Vandenboom in, in certain situations, the, the one game I mean, – the game where he first came in through a touchdown late in the game. I'm, I'm trying to even remember what New game Mexico. that was. Was it? But I don't know if it's the same thing this year. I don't. But I'm think It's not like, well, we all know. We don't know that. But I'm saying it may be like that. It could be. It could be. But why, I, I, why waste Why waste it on, yeah. on a blowout when you may need it later in the year? I think that's fair. But I also don't think it's a slam dunk that like, and obviously the coaches know. <laughs> and they're not going to tell us where things stand. But. Chase is every bit as qualified to be the backup um, at, at this stage, right. you know, and so I didn't have a problem with it. And I, I really wasn't that surprised. And again, um, when you're just going to be in there handing the ball off, which is exactly what he did the entire time, 
it just didn't it wouldn't have made sense to to get Graham in there unless he's the clear number two, which goes back to 2017, where obviously the the redshirt rule is not there, but why it was clear Jack Cohn was the backup and you wanted to get him in, even though you knew you were burning his redshirt by doing it, um, because he was clearly the number two over Corey Lyles and you wanted to get him exp- some exposure. Right now, there is no clear number two, and I guess we'll have to wait and see if they're in a close game and Jack gets hurt or Jack's not playing well and, and you find uh, yourself uh, in trying to jumpstart your team, who's going in? I, I don't know who it'll be. I think we both thought it at least going into the last game, would be Graham if it was close. But I don't know. Do you still think that? Or do you think? I don't know that I think that. It, okay. it's, oh, it's, I apologize for putting words in your mouth. I thought we were having a conversation on the sideline before the game, and we both thought, oh, excuse me, that might have been somebody else. Um, <laughs> maybe it wasn't you. It was me and somebody else, but you were there. You were there. We were having the conversation. We thought it would be Graham Mertz. You don't think it would have been? I, I don't Jesse, know. Jesse, make a stand. What do you think? Who's it going to be? Probably Chase at this point. That, okay. I, but I I reserve the right to change my mind because I'm wrong all the time. No, I mean, it, but it, it's a feel thing because we just don't I know. I don't know because, look, the last practice that we saw was August 16th. Um, it was pretty darn close to even. And we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes and, and how the reps are split up. And, you know, let's say the starter's getting 75 or 80%. Who, who are they giving the twos to? Are they still splitting it evenly with those two guys? I just don't know. Um at some point, we'll see Graham. I don't know when that is. I know that uh, Badgers fans eagerly await whenever that may happen, but so I thought we, it was a pretty darn good first up, first game. Well, we'll admit it. I mean, I think we're kind yeah, of interested. Yeah, I want to see. Yeah, we're kind of interested in doing it as well. I mean, I But I also, I don't I don't think it's the end of the world if, if he's not ready this year. And, you don't think and he's going to transfer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I don't. Uh, it was the most predictable thing ever on Twitter on, on Friday night that when he missed that first pass, the one down the field to Cephas, that there were already calls for him to be put in as the backup quarterback at that point. It's it's very predictable. Yet, I will say this. When it comes to big games, when it comes to the Michigan or Ohio State or Michigan State, a miss like that could lose you a game because you need absolutely you need to hit on those because it'll affect everything else in the game. You need to be able to hit that shot. And Jack knows it, and Wisconsin knows it, Paul Chris knows it. But um, after one... I'm not, I don't think so. Uh, speaking of potential backup quarterbacks, uh, there's calls for Alex Hornibrick to replace James Blackman on uh, on Saturday at Florida State, which I think a lot of fans probably got, uh, Wisconsin fans at least, maybe got a little bit of a uh, laugh out of. James Blackman threw three touchdowns over 300 yards. I don't necessarily think he was the problem, though they did not score in the second half. Um, maybe we'll see Alex Hornibrick at some point. All right, time to get into a little bit of our Twitter questions. We'll start with this one. Nolan asked, Scott Nelson failed to cover a South Florida receiver twice, bailed out by poor hands. Are you concerned that this will continue? I believe it was on the first two drives. Well, first two drives. First drive, that was a clear drop, and, and Scott looked to be a little bit trailing there in that possession uh, on that one. The second one, it was another drop, but Scott was right there uh, and put a hit on the guy, and I don't know if he had any role in actually making that a drop. I don't think he did. Uh, but those are the those two plays. Are you concerned that this will continue? I'm not overly concerned at this point. I can't expect everyone to be perfect on every play, and I know one or two was maybe more glaring than some of the others, but no, that's that's where I'm at. He had four tackles, and I know he was credited with a pass breakup, and he was the only pass breakup by anyone in, in the game, so no. I kind of feel like people see the interception from Kyle Wilder later in the game and be like, yeah. why can't he do that? Why can't he just Why can't he just be in on passing downs? Why don't you put him in the pass, on passing downs? I don't know. <laughs> because that's not how, really not how things work, right? 
Uh, I don't think Scott Nelson's in any danger of losing his starting job. No, I'm. Even though Colin played well, Colin played well. Eric Burrell played well. Mm -hmm. Reggie Pearson uh, both had interceptions. Yeah, your your two safeties. Backup safety. Yeah, Technically your number two, number two I mean, safeties. I mean, Eric, uh, Eric started because they played the nickel with, yep. with Reggie in the slot, but um, yeah, I don't think we're at that point. Uh, we kind of already talked about this. Um, thoughts on the pass protection? Seemed a little, seemed that uh, USF got Jack Cohn untouched a couple of times. I give my opinion. What do you think? For the most part, I feel like they were fine. I mean, they were working in a lot of guys. They worked in a lot of guys. That's the other thing. Like, you know, they had Caden. They've got the three-man guard rotation basically, and David Mormon's a blocking tight end, and Tyler Beach played a bunch. Yeah, a tackle, and so I don't know. I part of it probably all working together and learning how to play collectively because a lot of fall camp that's not they weren't all together. Yeah, do you think that's something we continue to see, or do you think they lock it in and, and have it be five, and you only see those other guys if uh, you know injury or poor play? I think we are going to continue to see that seven-man uh, rotation. Yeah, I, I I feel like we will because they've kind of all earned the right and opportunity to to be out there. And if anything, I I, I understand you have the same guys, you have all this great continuity potentially, but keeps you fresh, right? If you're in every single play, it's funny because you rotate defensive backs. You may get a DB that plays 25 snaps, but your offensive lineman is playing 65 snaps. And he's like a 330-pound dude, you know? Yeah. Who's, who's, who's the person you would think would most be able to withstand being out there for 65 plays? It'd be a DB or, you know, someone with a more perhaps muscular athletic build. So I think if you can rotate guys and you don't have much of a drop-off, if at all, that's a good thing for the line. Yeah, it was. And again, I, I kind of feel like may, maybe it's not next week, but at some point they will lock it in. Offensive line, more than any other place, you need continuity. And subbing guys in, whether it's brush for or, you know beach for brush or – the guard, the guards. I just don't see it consistently happening. They've done it in the past, where you know when John with John Deetson because he you know can't take the pounding the entire sixty minutes. So you, that's why Cole Van Lannen got so much time last year. And Cole Van Lannen played well and probably should have gotten even more time. But they did the same thing with Deetson earlier in his career, where Jason Erdman and him were switching in and out at guard. So we've seen it before. It's just it's been at one spot. It hasn't been at three spots. But uh, we'll see. Jeff wants to know, can you compare how Jack Cohn looked versus USF to how he looked in camp? I thought he was I thought he was pretty much as expected, other than he didn't connect on those couple deep shots, which we've kind of talked about ad nauseum at this point. Like to me, he looked more confident, he looked more sure of himself, he had better command of the offense, and there were obviously some issues, but you look at his stat line. Through 26 passes, had seven incompletions, threw for about 200 yards, and had a pair of touchdowns. And I think, I think it's what we expected. For the most part, it was. Um, and he didn't turn the ball over. And I think that, to me, is perhaps the biggest thing uh, of the night. It was he had issues with ball security at points last year. And for him not to throw an interception, he had just the one, I guess, poor. I think he actually, I would say this, I think he had two poor throws. The one, three poor throws. The two deep ones. Four poor throws. Now it's all coming back to me. The two deep ones, even though you need to hit those, the throw to Jonathan Taylor, for, that ended up to be a touchdown, and the fourth one was an almost interception on a throw to Adam Krumholtz uh, on a slant when he probably could have gone short to Cephas, for, and Cephas may have, run, may have run it in for a touchdown. I don't know. But um, I would say those were the four poor throws. Everything else I thought was really on, on track, especially uh, you know from the second quarter on. It looked 
about what I thought it would look like outside of the deep throws. That's what I was going to say. I thought he did a good job on the short throws and intermediate throws with the slants and the screens, and that's not always a given. So I think that's that's important. But we can admit that he has to hit on those deep throws. Oh, absolutely. If they're going to be the offense that we think they can be. Absolutely. But I also say one of the reasons he won this job was because he limited mis- his mistakes in fall camp more than anyone else, and so I do think there was a carryover effect there. So a lot of what we saw in fall camp did carry over. Yeah. Michael wants to know, and we've already talked about the offensive line, but what did you think of the defensive line performance? Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't hear a lot of Giff Garrett Rand, but... How many yards did they rush for? Exactly. <laughs> they carried 23 times for 26 yards. They averaged 1.1 yards per rushing attempt. Loudermilk came in. Loudermilk had a huge... That was a fourth and one. Obviously, the game was over. South Florida went for it at its own 20, but he was the one who caused a fumble. We've talked about Matt Henningsen. Um, I mean, what... What a difference it makes to have a defensive line. And and Henningsen said after the game, too, like because they've got these three guys that can all play, every three or four plays they can rotate them and keep them fresh. You just can't overstate the importance of having that much talent and depth. No. The, when Wisconsin's been at its best, and outside of last year, I would say it's when it's been at its best, it was the ability to rotate multiple guys in. I mean, at one point they were able to – Alec James, Chikwe Abasi – Connor Sheehy, Garrett Rand, uh, excuse me, not Garrett Rand, those three were able to rotate in, and even Isaiah was able to play a little bit. And then I thought the other guy that really stood out was Keanu Benton. In, yep. a, in a short first play, comes in, first play of his college career, comes in, gets a tackle, I think it was like a one-yard gain or a two-yard gain for, for South Florida. He is gonna, I think he's going to be a problem for offenses in the middle. I mean, he, he played well. Bryson Williams played well. Caught, you know, and, and the game was still in doubt. There was a little bit of a wide receiver screen, and he read it, and he got off a block and made a tackle for like a three-yard gain. It was That, to me, is what you're looking for. and Maybe not from your nose guard, but a guy that can get out there and play in, in space. I thought that was fantastic. Like It seemed like everybody that they put in made plays. Uh, we didn't see a ton of Isaiah Mullins, but you know, David Pfaff saw action as well. And it... You know, I'm not gonna, we, I don't think I saw any Twitter questions about it, but the backup linebackers uh, behind... Uh, the back of inside linebackers behind oh yeah uh, Leo and Sanborn and, and, and yeah behind Sanborn and Orr you know Leo Chanel had five tackles Mascalunas uh, led the team with six and he right. lit up the dude <laughs> on the fake punt the, pun- the punter slash backup kicker I think he was the backup kicker yeah wow was that a mistake <laughs> it was it was a mistake uh, I think as I tweeted I think that was like the biggest hit a punter has taken since Brian Mormon got laid up by Sean Taylor in the Pro Bowl and for anybody that doesn't have seen that Google it it's it, it was insane but yeah and he. He, I think I uh, saw one of his Twitter posts. He says, "Living, uh, living uh, your dream. Uh, you know, getting an opportunity to just go out and crush a kicker, a special teams guy. I mean, that was that was a big time hit. And I mean, again, the game I think obviously was over at that point. What what was the score? It was like I think it was like twenty. A lot to not. I think it was. I think it may have been thirty five nothing at that point when yeah. that happened. But still, uh, even your outside linebackers too. Like, yeah, they've probably got to put on some weight, but. You know, Jalen Franklin comes in there, gets a sack. I, uh, Isaiah, Green, Isaiah May. Green May had a sack on, which really was a huge sack because it helped to preserve that shutout because it knocked him back, and then there was a false start penalty, and, and the kicker missed a 43-yard field goal. But those are some young guys coming up through the ranks, and, and I think it was it was encouraging all the way around. I thought it was uh, – Jalen's was kind of freaky athleticism off the edge. You know, Wisconsin, we, we haven't seen that, that kind of speed off the edge. You know, even – I mean, even TJ, like – like those guys were good and, and really fast off the off the line, but these guys are more athletic than those guys. They're smaller, but they're more athletic than 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 what those guys were, and we kind of saw it. And that was a nice play. But Green May and Franklin off the edge, fantastic. Um, Bix wants to know, and I guess this is kind of a 
inside baseball question, but uh, do you like being at a game on a Friday night or do you prefer it to being on a Saturday? I would prefer any game being during the day <laughs> than at night, and people probably don't care about that, but when I filed my story, it was after 3.30 in the morning uh, Eastern time, and obviously at The Athletic, we don't have the same print deadlines that right. folks in the newspaper do, but man, you start a game at seven or eight at night and then it's a three and a half hour game and then you wait for interviews and then you come up and transcribe it all and you're starting a story at 1 a.m. and some of that's on me because I try not to start a story now that I'm at the athletic until I get back up there because I don't want to shortchange readers by writing something from the press press box that I probably could have written from watching it off tv but that's why I will take a day game because you get out of there at a more reasonable hour but there is something to be said for a night game and how electric it can feel in that big time game atmosphere and look it was, speaking of big game atmosphere, I mean, there were a lot of South Florida people there, but Wisconsin travel. I mean, that whole, I don't even know, I kind of asked you which side's the north, uh, which, which is west, which is the east. I, we don't know. But either way, whatever side of the Wisconsin bench was on, there was a lot of Wisconsin people there. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of them live in the area, but I think there's probably a lot of people that made the trip as well. It's uh, not ideal travel, not ideal uh, weather conditions, certainly, uh, you know, having to sit and wait for an hour until things got going, but I didn't think that had an effect on the game whatsoever. One no, not other. at all. Because they never came up really to warm up, so it it wasn't... I think that in the Nebraska season opener last year, they came out for the kickoff, and then there was weather, and they, like, didn't play. Yeah. <laughs> so that would have been even worse. Right, yeah, but no, day games, I'll, uh, as a fan, I'll take night games every day of the week. Absolutely. As a someone has to cover it, I'll take 11 a.m. kicks every day of the week. Right? 100%. Yeah. Moving on here, Malden Badger wants to know, and we've kind of talked about the secondary, but anybody we didn't talk about stand out, I thought, you know, Caesar Williams had that really tight coverage on the wide receiver that ended up with the tip into uh, Burrell's hands. Fayon Hicks and, and Deron Harrell, if you don't hear the names, that's probably a good thing. But they played so many guys. I think every court, you know, Stephen Samar Melvin got in, so we, we saw, what, th- two true freshmen, three true freshmen play, Leo Chanel, Keanu Benton, and Samar Melvin. I think Samar Melvin maybe a little bit of the surprise, but... They they played a ton of guys back there. Yeah, eight defensive backs had a tackle, and so yeah, I I don't know if there's anybody that stood on out. the back end other than you know you had a couple nice interceptions and and some good coverage, but they just have so many options. It's it's exciting. I mean, if you're a fan, you've got to be excited about what they did in that first game. Yeah, Kay wants to know uh, what was that sportsmanlike unsportsmanlike call for in the first half? Seems like there were a lot of unsportsmanlike calls over the weekend. Is that a new emphasis? I don't know. It was on Erdman, wasn't it? It it? was. And Paul said it after the game. He said it was, he was upset with some of the things that were happening to JT, like at the end of that play, play, at the end of that play. And so he's got to hold himself back more so. But, but I don't know what he said or what he, I don't know what he did. (laughs) Right. But it, but it was on him and it was, it was because what Paul said, it was because of what was happening, allegedly happening to JT is that's the reason why it was pulled back. And, um, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, he got a, he got a call. But Zach wants to know, do you think it's possible that this offensive line, and we've kind of talked about it already, but offensive line, could it be better, less talented, but more more grit is what he said than last year? <laughs> could it be better than last year's group? Hard to measure grit. Got to define it's possible. it first. It's possible. I mean, man, that's hard because individually the guys last year had so much talent, and I think the expectations were set so high that they were never going to meet them. I know that they had some issues, but I also thought, man, they got a lot better as the season went along. Yeah. And a lot of the issues that happened weren't necessarily because of the offensive line. But I think this line is going to be really good. And I think we saw, yeah, it wasn't 100% perfect in the opener. It's never going to be. 
I think this group can be as effective. Yeah. I talked to uh, – we have Bill Nagy, who's an offensive, former offensive lineman for Wisconsin. We have him on our Wisconsin football roundtable that I guess I'll give it a little plug. It airs uh, live on Thursdays, every Thursday from Cross Plains at uh, Coaches Club. And you know, when you get, if you are not in the area, you can also uh, catch it on the podcast. But either way, in talking to him and asking him about the offensive line of last year, he thought – this is his opinion – that it was too individual. There was too much individualism on that line and too much about the accolades that came, come with it. And um, he thinks that this group is a little bit different in that respect. Um, you know, he said, Hey, it's great that they were getting, you know, a lot of love and all that type of stuff, but that's not what Wisconsin football is. That's not what this offense offensive line should be. Um, he did not like the fact that they were on the cover of sports illustrated. All the, this is him. Ta- this is him talking as a player, as a former player an offensive lineman at Wisconsin. So this is not me saying this. This is what he, he was saying. And that he thinks this group, because they are close and he thinks they're real, he was down at practice last week, says they're very, 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 he thinks they're as close as they can be. David Mormon came up and told him, he goes, we love each other. It's like everyone is on the same page. It just feels different this year. And you, I don't know. I don't know how you judge that. But that's what he thought. I understand that perspective. I guess I would also say to that that it, no one put that. It, the offensive linemen did, last year didn't put that on themselves, you know. Like, they didn't decide to be on the cover of, of SI. Of they or, decided or, or, they wanted to be on the cover earn, of SI. Well, this year's group would say we want to be on SI if SI came to them and said, hey. You're, After last year? I don't, I don't think that's completely fair because, like, they earned All-America honors. They and, did. like, that wasn't up to them. Sure. I understand they can make a decision and say, like, no, we will sit out not we're, wanting to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Having said that, come on. But... I'm not I, saying that they should have. What I'm I saying is, the, I understand from, from the perception of a former offensive lineman, yes. a former member of that offensive line room, that maybe it was kind of, you know, outside of their, outside of what Wisconsin is. Yeah, I, I understand that. I would also say if any of us were, were in that position. We, of course, would do it, Jesse. I understand yes. that. What I'm saying is, in, as a Wisconsin offensive lineman, sure. he did not think I it was a great it. thing. I get it. It, it. it places expectations at a level that you can never necessarily meet. And you're right, last year, they didn't meet those expectations. But like individually, I think they... They performed well, but that's not what an offensive line is about. Anyway, the point is... Jonathan I think, Taylor ran for t- close to 2,200 yards yep. last year. I think this line's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sean West uh, says, last season, Wisconsin struggled on special teams except for kickoffs. Who impressed you more on Friday? Anthony Delati punting or Jack Dunn on his punt return? Jack Dunn's punt return, man. You got to get... Paula said you got to get some more explosive plays. 41-yarder. That's not bad. <laughs> the right. other ones... What'd you think of Anthony? What'd you think of Lottie, though? I thought he was... I thought they didn't all come off necessarily as cleanly as you thought it could, but he got some good rolls. He had a 59-yarder, and he averaged about 41, and I know that net punting average is not like the end-all, be-all, because last year almost half his punts came from the other side of the field, but I thought he did his job, and I thought he did it fairly well. It's one game. Conditions weren't great. Ball wasn't exactly traveling extremely far, especially with that humidity, but yeah, I don't know. do you think he's? I mean, he's he has something on his plant leg, still on his on his knee. Yeah. Um. I, you think he's healthy? I think he's as healthy as he's going to be the whole season. Once you get into this point, I mean, I think he's healthier this year than he probably was, was last year. Yeah. But I think he did a, a, a solid job. Can I get a detailed breakdown of Central Michigan before we uh, sign off here? No, you cannot. <laughs> Wisconsin will open its home season this Saturday against uh, Central Michigan. They beat Albany. They did. And they put up a ton of yards. Yes, they did. And that means nothing. It means 
literally nothing. Did anybody, I mean, I'm, I know you were traveling yesterday. I don't know how much football you got to watch at all, if any. Anybody stand out to you? Anything that's anything Big Ten-wise stand out to you? I watched almost nothing. I saw that Iowa was in a dogfight with Miami. They were. And that's all. That's about all I saw. I yeah, mean, Penn, I, didn't, I missed State, all the day games. Yeah, Penn State rolled. Um, Maryland rolled. I think it was 70. They, they, none of these teams played anybody. Um, and, and I guess maybe we might end up having to say the same thing about Wisconsin at some point. I don't know. At least they went and played a true road game. They went on the road and played, played away from home and, and uh, beat the crap out of South Florida. But the Big Ten overall... For the well, I shouldn't say the Big Ten West wasn't great. Northwestern looked like trash against <laughs> against Stanford. Uh, Minnesota needed a late touchdown to beat South Dakota State. As you mentioned, Iowa was in a dogfight. Illinois was impressive. Purdue blew an eighteen point lead in the fourth quarter uh, in that second half. I even yeah, it was thirty one. It's thirty one fourteen. So it wasn't. So it was eighteen. Seventeen. Seventeen. Seventeen points. Yeah. Either way, they blew that late lead to Nevada. So we'll give credit to Purdue. They went on the road, lost to Nevada, blew a late lead, and then got beat on a 56-yard field goal at the end of regulation, um, which is insane. But so, I mean, when you look at all the Big Ten West, Wisconsin had a good had a good weekend, no matter what, no matter what anything else happened, right? Yeah? 1-0. and 1-0, and Wisconsin is. They'll look to go 2-0 on Saturday when they face Central Michigan. Jesse, thank you. Thanks, Zach. All right. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.